around the world and coast to coast. This is the Phil Nason Show. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Phil Nason Show. I'm so happy to have you here. You can hear us daily at Maximum Sports Channels and at the 405 Media, Baseball Talk Radio. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Armed Forces Radio and Google Play and Sirius Satellite Radio. We're everywhere and really thrilled to be here talking NBA with you. We want to thank Bovada and the Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring us. I want to thank you all for listening to the show, for also hitting those links taking advantage of those products, and putting some cash in the pockets of the Flash. The NBA, it's heating up. We're down to four teams. I'm sorry, we're down to six teams, but I don't really count those other two because one of them can't close the other one out because they suck. Welcome to LoudCity.com's main man over there. J.A. Sherman, you are in the house. What's happening? Hey, Phil. It's good to be here talking a little playoff basketball and whatnot. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the Thunder have not been part of the conversation, but that doesn't mean we still can't talk about them, right? Well, we're going to talk about them, but we'll talk about them later. I want to talk about okay. an ex-Thunder player right now. Yeah. And we want to welcome the folks that oh, welcome yeah. to Loud City, a great friends of mine personally and professionally. Um, I want to ask you, why did James Harden yeah. suck in Game 6 against San Antonio minus Kawhi Leonard's presence? Well, I, I think this is the, uh, the the question mark of the day. It's it's the big mystery as to what happened because uh, the Rockets were in good pose- position to uh, to even up the series. They were at home. Uh, they were going against a severely shorthanded team and certainly their best uh, all around player. Not not to mention their best deep defensive player in Kawhi Leonard was not going to be guarding him. And uh, and this was a moment where James Harden. Uh, the the MVP candidate for the Rockets had to shine, uh, and he had to deliver for his team. He had to figure out a way to to deliver a win there. And not only did he have a bad game, but it was almost like he s- helped suck the energy out of that team, uh, where they didn't have a shot from the opening tip. Uh, it was a really strange thing to watch. Uh, and I, and while I, I I did get some like Kobe Bryant of the the mid. 2000s feel when he would just kind of tank games on purpose just because he wanted to prove a point. <laughs> I don't think Harden t- was taking that approach, but something <laughs> looked severely wrong with him. I don't know. What do you think? I think he, you know what it reminded me of? 2012 against Miami. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, and that that's, a, that's the first uh, correlation I would draw too, is that Harden has a history of coming up way short in big moments and and i'm not here to slam the guy because he was part of the thunder when that happened and it was disappointing to watch it um but it's not like him coming up short in big moments like this is that much of a surprise because he has (laughs) done it yeah he he, i mean it happened two years ago against the warriors uh, obviously in 2012 in the in the finals against the heat um, he honestly wasn't that good uh, in in the playoffs up to this point. Uh, he was getting his work done mostly uh, at the free throw line and, uh, and, and in setting up his teammates, particularly uh, against the Thunder. But he was not a good player uh, aside from game one against the Spurs. 
and and he was just sort of barreling towards this point and you could maybe argue that he was just completely exhausted Mike D'Antoni went to a seven person rotation that's tough to do when you're going against a team that can rotate 10 players in and out um, and he was clearly gassed after game five that overtime, epic overtime moment um, and so you could argue that he was tired but he was not only tired in game six he was completely checked out mentally it looked like uh, to the point where I was asking myself is he on medication or something like that <laughs> yeah you know it's, it's like you know, seriously is he on some antibiotic that is affecting like his balance and his timing uh, because the observations from people across the board where he does not look like he's engaged in any sense and mentally emotionally or anything like that um, to the point where he intentionally fouled himself out with three minutes to go. And obviously the game was over, but if you are the team leader and you're an MVP candidate and, uh, and you want to be seen as one of the iconic players in the league, that's, that's just a really bad look. Uh, for, so he's wearing that beard, but I digress. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's that's his strategic whiskers, uh, just like cats have whiskers. To <laughs> anyway, we don't we don't go. go well, it didn't that help way. him very much in Game Six. <laughs> no, it didn't. Uh, I, but but it's weird because I mean he he took like two shots up through the the first half of the game, uh, and he averages over twenty a, a game, uh, and and so. Something looked very, very wrong, and and there is some speculation floating around. I don't know if you want to go down that road, but if we did, there's some pretty severe implications that surround it. Well, I, I heard of some of those things, but you know what? Those are rabbit trails. We don't really know. You know what we do know, though? Yeah. He wasn't so tired and yeah. gassed that he couldn't go out to the club afterwards. <laughs> I think that's his mojo. Like. Going all the way going back to Oklahoma City, he's he's been a clubbing guy. Of course. Uh, he had the infamous uh, white party, you know, the all white party back in the day on a boat, and um, you know, so I can't really fault him that much for for wanting to just kind of decompress. But if he didn't know how that would look to his fan base, to the, the Rockets fans, and to the rest of the league, uh, you could argue that was that was pretty tone deaf. See, I, I just kind of wrote him off after 2012. He is what mm-hmm. he is. We want yeah, me to say is. about the guy. What, what, what do we say about him? He had a great season. He's had several great seasons, great regular mm-hmm. seasons. He got dogged in that series. Kawhi Leonard, he had so many issues. He didn't know what to ha- what was happening. Who knows with him? But we have a history of him not showing up in big games or showing up but not doing, not being numerically outstanding as he has at other times in his career. Yep. That's a very gentle way of saying he choked. And I think that that's <laughs> what it is. And I think, you know, and here's the funny thing is that guys like LeBron James were the same way. Yeah. I don't know if he can pull out of it, but let's stop making excuses for him. And let's say if he really had a concussion, then mm-hmm. don't you think the Houston Rockets would have known? And if that were the case, would they have taken that risk? Because I don't think you can do that under NBA protocol and under the CBA. Well, that's that's a really interesting uh, to point to bring up. So I do my best, it, sir. Yeah. So 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 let's stipulate that there could have been something wrong. He uh, he got hit in the head uh, by pa- uh, Pau Gasol in Game Five, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and we know that he has a history of bad concussions because we saw it happen live when metal world peace laid him out with a with a 
backhanded elbow to the back of Harden's skull that knocked him out for a right. while. Uh, Metal World Peace got suspended eight games for that violent act. Um, and we also have this this uh, this notion that once you get one concussion, it becomes progressively easier to get them again and again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if it is possible that uh, that Harden sustained some sort of concussion or something like that, and his behavior in Game Six, it certainly doesn't dissuade the notion. Um, but if that's a possibility, it opens up a severe can of worms because. One, it doesn't look like the Rockets tested him for it, and 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 the CBA does say if if there is a medical suspicion uh, of a potential concussion, there is a specific protocol that he, the player is supposed to be removed from the bench, taken into the back where it's quiet, there's no distractions, and they they put him through this protocol. Uh, we saw this in 2015 with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, um, and uh, and so they didn't do that, and then. Um, and if they didn't do that, did they have a rational reason for it? Because his behavior was peculiar. And, uh, but it, they, they didn't do it, and they didn't, they didn't alert the league as far as I can tell. But here's the stinger is that if they had reason to believe and they did not put him into concussion protocol pro- procedures, I don't think there's anything in the CBA document that penalizes the team in any way. At least I, I looked through it myself, and I didn't see anything. Now, it's, it gave the specific guidelines for this is what you should do, A, B, C, 1, 2, 3. But if a team intentionally withholds that kind of information, I haven't seen any evidence that there is any sort of repercussion unless the player himself decides to sue the team, the league, or both because of, of, of a breakdown in procedure. And uh, even, I think, earlier this year, we saw the same thing happen with um, uh, Doc Rivers' son. Uh, uh, I can't remember his first name. Austin, Austin Rivers. Rivers. Yeah, he, he's yeah, a household he t- name. How can you forget him? My my mistake. He took yeah. a bad shot to the head. Uh, they tested him on the bench, which is a violation of procedure. Uh, he clearly had bad symptoms, and they later discovered he had received a concussion. But they, the Clippers clearly violated the procedures that are laid out in the CBA. I don't think they were penalized in any sense um, for, for doing it like that. Um, and so, so if the Rockets intentionally or willfully uh, subverted the process that would have detected that Harden had received a concussion uh, and there's no fallout from the league to say, hey, these are the penalties that surround it, it it's just a really – bad notion uh, and, and a bad process for, for the league and you and I have talked about things like this in the past uh, about you can't be a due diligence league if you don't actually do your due diligence we saw this in big sense when the Clippers ousted uh, Donald Sterling we've seen it in smaller ways and this this is not a good look if, if this is actually what happened uh, for the NBA there needs to be some se- severe repercussion for for violating this kind of uh, protocol because the the players very lives are at stake uh, so so I am concerned and honestly I don't know how much more news we're going to get out of this uh, I'm kind of hoping that that Michelle Roberts uh, might start digging in and figure out what happened but um but even Mike D'Antoni's comments after the series was over were really strange and cryptic. Uh, at one point, he said, "You know, sometimes you know, you know, life just kind of hits you in the face." I'm like, "Okay, that's a little weird." And then he said something even more cryptic, where he said um, he he pleaded with the reporters asking the questions. He said, "Can we please stop litigating this?" I.e., 
stop stop asking questions. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Um, you know, and so it, I don't know. I get a really funny vibe around this situation, and uh, and I hope we can get some answers because uh, otherwise, I I don't like the the position the league might be putting itself in by not taking this more severely. Yeah, you know what? They don't care. They got their money's worth. <laughs> So and yeah. that's really what it's all about in the NBA is money. I don't think – I don't know what happened with James Harden. I wasn't there. Mike D'Antoni isn't a doctor. He probably doesn't really know either. Mm-hmm. D'Antoni, But I can tell you this about Mike D'Antoni. He's a player's coach for a reason. He cares about his team, mm-hmm. his players. He really does. Yeah. I mean, ask his ex-players, except for Carmelo Anthony, of course. But ask yeah. them. They all <laughs> like him. A lot. Yep. Listen to the announcers, the ex-NBA players talk about him. They like him He's because he, he cares about these guys. They might not like the way his offense is run and how he does things, but they like him because he cares about people. I would personally think that if he knew that James Harden was concussed, he wouldn't have put him on the floor no matter what. Mm-hmm. Remember, he quit a job over a player. Now, yeah. that was a lucrative job. The New York Knicks job, I don't care if you suck at it and your team sucks – being a New York Knicks coach, the head coach, is a very lucrative thing because at the end of the day, you'll get more publicity coaching that sorry team than you would coaching the Hawks, or not the Hawks, but the Houston Rockets for that matter. Yeah, but th- but there's always going to be this you know willful ignorance, like don't tell me what I don't want to know so I always have plausible deniability. And you're starting hey, to sound like a lawyer again. Oh, gosh, yeah, I hate those guys, sorry. Right, man, really, <laughs> but here's the thing. Unless we know any more, it's just another case. We have more evidence to suggest he just didn't show up well and play well than we do having him concussed. There are other people, though, they think that he fixed the game. See, those kind of things aren't good either. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there are no really good ways you could take this if, if it wasn't just Harden having a bad game. Uh, and 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 of course, you know, in, in the instances where where um, we've seen things like that, that really shady stuff happen, um, I think it's a little bit more subtle. Um, I remember seeing one commenter say, you know, if, if Harden was really trying to throw the game, he would have, you know, played a little bit differently. Um, but but this is the problem, and this is what we see when when the referees go bad, you know, in series and whatnot. Is that it's not that it's necessarily happening. It's the fact that the league's actions or inactions are allowing the questions to be raised with some mental support to it. And that's what destroys the credibility of a league. Not that everything goes bad. It's that they allow the suspicion of things to go bad and they cannot hold themselves above reproach anymore. And that starts to tear down the credibility of what you're seeing. That's a good point too. So, we look at this now. We see this. We saw Houston beat Oklahoma City. We yep. saw Houston then lose to San Antonio. There yep. was a big MVP thing where three of those, well, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard were all involved in this big battle. Maybe I would put Isaiah Thomas's name in there too. Mm-hmm. How does how does his performance, his being Harden's performance, I don't know where you stood completely on it, but where does that sit? Does, should that make a difference? Obviously, it hasn't because the votes are already in. Yeah, I think if, if the Harden only thing wins, it really, is that a tainted thing? 
I don't think so. In the same way that I don't think Russ is, if Russ wins, he's tainted either. Just because he he didn't make it past the first round, I think they're they're two players really in the same uh, talent band in, in a sense that um, they had really similar seasons. Uh, you know, Westbrook obviously had all the triple doubles. Harden had one of the the most prolific offensive seasons in in NBA history. Uh, with the the 2,000 points, 2,000 uh, points produced by assists, so you know some some of it's it's just a, a degree of what you prefer. You know, it's what flavor of ice cream you like the best. But they were similar in a lot of ways, especially because of the way they were ball dominant and they were the the, the centerpiece of their teams. And so I felt like Westbrook acquitted himself well enough. I mean, he didn't play awesome in in their first round series but he didn't play terrible most of the time either uh so i don't think he tainted his his uh legacy in this season uh but i also strongly feel like andre robertson who was guarding james harden most of the time uh when harden struggled i think that mitigated harden's uh he didn't come out of that series looking amazing either and so i felt like after that series also, uh, MVP voters probably rested a little bit easier knowing that if they did go with Westbrook, that Harden didn't overwhelm this series so much that it's going to make them look bad. Uh, and now after the Spurs series, with the way this thing fell out, they're probably smiling because their their pick of, of Westbrook is going to appear that much more strong. Uh, and, of course, LeBron supporters are always going to be like, he's look what he's doing now, and this is the only thing that matters in the playoffs. And I agree with that. Uh, and that's why the MVP is a little weird in the sense that it, it's only going to take into account the 82 games of the regular season. Um, you know, and, and for a great player like him to just kind of stay in third gear for most of the season and kick it up a notch in the playoffs, it's always going to look a little strange. But you know, that's that's the path that he chose, and it, I think it's the right one, especially at his stage of, of his career. That makes sense. You know something? If I had to do it all over again, I would vote for LeBron James. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because he's the only one of the four that are delivering all every night. Kawhi delivers when he plays. He's hurt, though. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. The Thunder can win without Russell Westbrook. Maybe not get to the playoffs without him, but they can win. They proved that. Mm-hmm. Houston Rockets can't win without James Harden, and they can't win with him either. <laughs> and, uh, Kawhi Leonard, the San Antonio Spurs, can win without Kawhi Leonard. But you know something? The Cleveland Cavaliers cannot win without LeBron James. They have not won with LeBron James. Without When he's not on the floor, they do not win. They didn't at least this season. If he were not playing in game one of the playoffs, you would take the other team, take all the points you can get, and go make a lot of cash because mm-hmm. that team sucks without LeBron James. So I would have to say that he's the most valuable player. He's the best player in the NBA. And that's just the way I would see it now because it's even more clear now when it really counts who mm-hmm. is the best player. I mean, don't get me wrong. Kawhi Leonard is my favorite player. But LeBron mm-hmm. James is the best player. There's no stopping that dude. And that's what I was curious about with you to talk about with you. You said something about and we you mentioned Golden State earlier. Golden yeah. State in in Cleveland, this is some a note that you sent me yesterday, pushing the envelopes of disrespect. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think about that? Because there's a there's a lot of people they deny it of course, that there's a rivalry yeah. there. The veterans, the old guys that used to play and used to play in what we would consider rivalries, don't see that mm-hmm. rivalry either. What do you think about all this stuff? 
Uh, I, I think that it's one of the things that I kind of like about the NBA is is that uh, they're not super imposing when it comes to players expressing themselves. And yeah, they've, they've said, you know, chill out on the Twitter and, and, and whatnot from time to time. But I kind of like the fact that the players are, are taking some shots across the bow uh, from opposite, uh, you know, opposite uh, conferences. It, to me, it makes it more interesting. It makes it more fun um, because then you got to back it up, you know. And, and to the, the degree that we witnessed it in the first round, it was primarily fans kind of sniping at each other. Um, but for the highest level, for um, you know, the Warriors guys, they've defined themselves as the as the super villains. And Draymond Green is certainly no stranger to, to throwing out darts to at his competition. You know, he he, he threw some comments out against the Jazz. Uh, he's making comments against the Cavaliers about how their their road has been so easy, uh, and then you've got you know, the Cavaliers. You know, obviously, all through the off season, they were you know the the three one uh, moniker was uh, was prevalent at their parties and and every every step of the way. Uh, and Richard Jefferson now stepping out and saying, "Hey, you know your your road's been pretty pretty easy too, uh, Warriors. So I wouldn't be uh, throwing too many rocks at glass houses." So I don't know. I don't I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it makes it more fun. It makes it more interesting to know that these players have emotions and uh, and when they get a little bit irked about something, they're not afraid to speak out on it, and that the league is going to just let them kind of go down that road a little bit. Um, so that's my take, is I, I don't see any any harm in it at all. Me neither. I think it's great. You know something? Draymond Green is becoming LeBron James light. Because LeBron mm-hmm. James does the same stuff. He's constantly taking jabs at people the way he talks. He he acts like he's not, but he is. He You know what mm-hmm. he's saying. That three-to-one thing, that was funny. Because it was right. Yeah. You know something? He has a right to say those things. Yep. Because he did that. And I can tell you this, had those guys not gotten hurt Love and Irving two seasons ago, they'd have won then too. Yep. I'm going to tell you right now, if the Cleveland Cavaliers are healthy, I don't care if Mr. Unreliable scores 50 points in a game, they will not beat the Cavaliers because none of them, none of them can deal with what the Cavs have, and that is LeBron James. None of them. Draymond Green is a tough kid, but he ain't as big. LeBron push him around like a rag doll. He he has a hard time with Kevin Love, and then you got Tristan Thompson too, and that's what I and that's the thing I like the way they're doing this. You know, it's about time they put their tube of chapstick down and took their knee pads off <laughs> and put them away. It's time to be men yeah. again. You know, David Stern let these little these guys become little girls. The WNBA <laughs> is more physical than this league is, but now it's starting to get a different. They're letting them play a little more. They're letting them be competitive, and that makes the fans want to watch a competitive basketball game, a physical game. When I was growing up, that's the way it was. You went to the rack, you got hammered. I remember Mm -hmm. those guys used to say, if you come in and you don't get your bone broke, there ain't no foul. And they were right. Bill Lampier and Rick Mahorn, they would say it in the newspaper to the reporters. If he comes Mm -hmm. into the lane, I'm crushing him. You don't come in here. You don't get no points in the paint. That's the way it has to be. This is the way why it was so good, if you remember. Plus, these guys were also mm-hmm. really serious rivals. There were some serious rivalries going on. I want to see that return. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And, um, and and I think as fans and observers, we don't we don't want to watch theater. 
you know, if we want to see theater, we'll go to the movies. We'll right. turn on the television and I'll watch a, a TV show. Or the news. With a yeah, or the news, good point. Um, to, to watch essentially a predetermined outcome that is designed to uh, move our emotions in one way or another. All right, so we know what theater is, and we don't want sport to be theater. And so when you allow the unscriptedness of, of competitive athletes going at each other, that's that's what we want to see because we're kind of tired of all the scriptedness of pretty much every other aspect of, of the media life that we exist in. Uh, to see something that is truly unexpected, uh, that's an amazing thing. And and even though, the, uh, for example, the, the Celtics and Wizards series is, is always going to be the undercard for these playoffs, hmm. uh, the fact that they've just kind of escalated the intensity and they're going at each other a little bit and they've got some testiness and then – the Celtics did this whole funeral attire thing and, and John Wall saying, you know, don't be wearing funeral attire. This is my house. I mean, you know, this is my team and my city in D.C. And then to, to back that up with a, a game-winning shot to send it into game seven, that's, that's what we live for. That's what we live for as, as sports fans, uh, you know, to, to see that kind of thing play out. Uh, and that's why – when it does happen the way it happens it, it just it brings you to this point of just just joy and, and an ecstatic feeling like uh, like when Westbrook got his 42nd triple double of the season against the Nuggets and then punctuated it by dropping a, a 35 foot jump shot to win the game at the buzzer uh, who cares that the, the Nuggets were a, a sub 500 team and they were no longer a playoff team just the fact that he was able to pull off something so ridiculous uh, and it actually brought the uh, the story to a to an amazing end. I mean, it's that's what we want more than anything else. We want to have that that sort of a euphoric moment. And uh, but you can't have that without the uh, the grit and the grind and you know the things going wrong for a part of the time uh, in order to to appreciate those those heightened moments. Well, that's just it. You know, David Stern tried to turn the NBA into the WWE. It ain't going to work. This yeah. is better for me. I like it. You know, this is funny that the Celtics guys, you know, they were just mimicking what the Washington Wizards did to them in their own house when mm-hmm. they came in with the black and then they came in there and stomped them. I think Boston looked foolish because here's the thing. They couldn't back it up, whereas the Washington Wizards, when they did it, could in their own house. This is the thing about John Wall versus Isaiah Thomas. Mm-hmm. Who's the winner of this one? Now it's 3-3. They play their final game on Monday. All these damn days off these two teams have. That's because <laughs> yeah. the NBA, that's because their uh their teams didn't think that they were going to be this far. You know, and they had booked mm-hmm. the arenas. That's why that was. What do you think? Who who wins this battle between John Wall and Isaiah Thomas or is, it, is this is this matchup even about those two any longer? I think it's really tough because you know, in on one hand, we see the 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 Wizards just steamroll the Celtics uh, in in the second half. I think it was a game five where they won a twenty six zero run, and I was like, "That's it! They've solved the Celtics. The Celtics are no longer a threat." And then the Celtics just rebound and come back at them, and they win by twenty five or something like that. And it's just what is going on in this series, but I love it. Uh, you know, and and then we get you know the what will probably be the the epicenter of it uh, at the end of this game six where there's all this drama and then Wall hitting the, the big three to win it. Um, 
you know, game seven will probably not be as well played as some of these other other games in the series. That's okay. Game sevens typically do not look all that polished. They're just a, a war of attrition. It's about figuring out a way to to just move on in a sense. Um, and 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 the fact that Isaiah Thomas and John Wall. They're flashy, but they're also really gritty, kind of determined players, uh, and, they, and they've got a little bit of a nasty streak in them, and I like that. And those two are going to go at each other. They probably won't play the, the most amazing statistical games you've ever seen, but I think those two will determine it in the fourth quarter of Game 7. Yeah, that might make sense, but uh, I don't really care about either of those two teams or that series because they're not going to be Cleveland. Neither of those teams are going to be Cleveland. Not well, even on their best day. That's why I call it the undercard. I mean, you have to say, you have to recognize this is the undercard. It's not the heavyweight championship, and just appreciate it for what it is. Well, that makes sense. Now, what do you think about the other series between Golden State and San, and, uh, San Antonio? Everyone wants to know, can Coach Greg Popovich pull off the upset? I say he can, and he probably will. Well, to what degree do you think the absence of Steve Kerr is going to impact this series? Probably heavily. Yeah. You don't trust Mike Brown, huh? <laughs> well, why would I? But the thing is, it's not its not just that. Steve Kerr was on the sideline when they lost twice to mm-hmm. San Antonio this season. San Antonio has them figured out. Now, if they can seal the deal on these fellas, and I think that they can, this is going to be... A very big upset, but is it really an upset, though? I think it is because at the beginning, the Warriors have the the most amount of of offensive talent that we've ever seen in the league. Probably um, so. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, that's it's just a fact, and and the fact is that they can end any game in an about a six minute stretch against yes. any team. They against can any it. team. Yes, they can. Yeah. So, so the this challenge that the Spurs face is monumental. Um, the 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 hope that I see in that is that the the Warriors have a hole. They do have a hole in their team, and that is they're not that big and physical on the inside. Unless you, for some reason, trust greatly in Javale McGee. <laughs> you not know, really. if you want to go down that, <laughs> Shaq did a fool. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to put your trust in him and he comes through with you, more power to you. But they do have a weak spot on the inside. Um, you know, Draymond is undersized. Great defensive player, but he's undersized. Uh, David West, undersized. I don't trust Jaja at all, um, other than to set hard screens from time to time. And, and he's and, good at that. And then throw somebody into Kevin Durant's legs. Um, Durant's tall, you know, but he if, – if you – uh, put him at the power forward spot for too long, it's going to impact every other aspect of his game. We know this. We've watched this for seven years or whatever. Um, and so if the Spurs can figure out a way to commit to the inside game, it's like body blows in boxing. If you commit to the body blow game, you're going to take some shots to the head. But if you can stay in the series and and make it past game five – then those body blows will start to show up and and the uh, the better puncher is going to start to lose his edge. That's exactly what we saw against the, the Cavaliers in the finals last year is that once they got past the the point of, of game five where it looked like the Warriors were ready to close out, uh, the Cavs tipped everything. They became more assertive. Uh, Kyrie started to outplay Steph Curry, et cetera. 
uh, the Spurs can do the same kind of thing, but they have to commit to that inside game, even if its success does not manifest early on. Uh, I, I think they, if, if they can make it into a long series, they have, they have the ability to tip the scales in their favor. That's a good point. You know, I, I have that in my notes, but you know one of the things that I'd like to see them do is control the tempo from the get-go. If you mm-hmm. can control the tempo against Golden State, you can beat them because sometimes they get impatient. You know, they, they're they young guys still. They want to run and gun. If you take that run away from them, they don't do so well for the reasons that you mentioned. Now, if you can slow that thing down, this series is going to be won in the paint. If San Antonio mm-hmm. is going to win this series, it's going to be in the paint. They're going to have to go in there and bully ball. They've got people who can do this. Now, mm-hmm. I, I don't have a lot of hope for LaMarcus Aldridge when it comes on the offensive end of things. Okay, he had mm-hmm. a nice game six. And, but his numbers aren't very consistent like that. We don't expect to see that again, nor do they need that. But what they need is they need him to go in there and bully Draymond Green and get Draymond to do something stupid because mm-hmm. Draymond will do something stupid. He needs to be a veteran now. And, and get him to do something foolish. And and Deadman, and here's the other, David Lee. David Lee has the ultimate FU type of game for them. Mm-hmm. And if he gets inside and says, hey, this was my team, I moved over so that you could be a star, Draymond, I, mm-hmm. he could dominate that team because there's nobody on that Warriors team that can stop him either. Yeah, I think that's a good point, and uh, and I think one of the the hidden keys to this series, and it was a hidden key to the finals last year, is Andre Iguodala's health. There you um, go. Yeah, as great as a defensive player and a glue guy that he is, he got he was getting worn down in the playoffs last year um, because he played two back to back seven game series, and by the end of the the finals, he he didn't have the juice that his team needed to make key plays. And uh, and so if if they can figure out a way to marginalize his ability to impact the game in non statistical ways, that'll be a big win for the Spurs. Now it's not the only thing they would have to do, but to take Iguodala's influence out of the game, uh, so that it's now solely an emotional, so where where Draymond is the sole emotional uh, center point. Then you can start to manipulate what the Warriors are starting to do. But in the past, it's always been guys like Iggy Adala um, and uh, some other veterans, uh, uh, Andrew Bogut, you know, have been able to counterbalance Draymond's emotional uh, positional state in order to keep that team centered. But without that, if, if you if you get into Draymond's head, he's proven repeatedly that he will lose his mind and he will start kicking people and he'll make bad plays and he'll disappear. Um, but this is a multi-step process and you have to make sure that you build out your, your process correctly uh, so that when the, point, the tipping point does occur, you're ready to capitalize on it. That's exactly the way to do that too. Make him lose his mind and they're good at that. San Antonio, this is a unit, a team. They're very good at stuff like this. I expect this to go seven games, and I expect San Antonio to win. They're going to have to win an Oracle. They can do that because I have this funny feeling that they're going to wear those guys down. Draymond Green's another one you can wear down. He's not the biggest guy out there. Mm-hmm. This should be a fun series. Now, we got a few minutes left, I think, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, what do the Thunder do about Ennis Cantor? I've heard some uh, people aren't very happy with him. Had they have listened to this show two years ago when we tried to tell mm-hmm. folks 
that he doesn't play defense and he would become an albatross around their neck. No one seemed to want to listen to me then. What's going to happen with him? He's in a tough state because I like him as a player. I, I like him as a player. I like him as a teammate. I like what I see him, of him as a person. Um, you know, he's emotionally connected. He's emotionally invested in the team, the city, the franchise. And so there are a lot of positive things that he does bring to the Thunder. $18 million uh, a year, though. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he is he is elite at two things. He's elite in the inside post game and offensive rebounding. Okay. He is, he is the quintessential role player, right? So why does role- why does Billy Donovan on on get miked and you hear him say clearly to Maurice Cheeks, "I can't mm-hmm. put him in." Yeah, he said I can't play Cantor, and he was right. And and Cantor stopped playing, even though uh, Donovan did try to dissemble that a little bit in the aftermath. Um, But I think what you have to remember, and this is the hardest thing, uh, because we do live in a now sort of sort of uh, sports uh, in society, like what's going on right now, and we forget context really easily. Uh, The context is that he was brought in to give the Thunder bench support. Uh, so that when uh, Durant and Westbrook got tired, especially in the playoffs, the Thunder wouldn't fall apart with relying on the bench. And he did a pretty good job of that last year, even though there were some series that he had pretty minimal impact. Um, he was able to contribute in a number of ways. And uh, and obviously he's got a good relationship with Steven Adams, and that, that can help too, um, just in building uh, team camaraderie. But without Durant there and without that sort of uh, offensive load uh, now falling solely on the the shoulders of Westbrook, uh, it made Cantor's role all the more critical. And the the sad and the frustrating thing was through the first half of the season, he was getting it done. We did some some in-depth analysis on his post-play, not just in scoring the ball, but also in his passing metrics. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was becoming a really good post-passer, like – um, like surprisingly good. Um, and then in that one faithful game, he decided to punch a chair and he breaks his arm right. and he's not the same for the rest of the season. And so he was completely exposed against the Rockets where his offense was not that great. Um, he wasn't able to score against Capella or Nene. Uh, and his defense was exactly what we expected. Uh, he could not defend the pick and roll. Harden was having his lunch uh, repeatedly, and that's where we just saw him completely fall out of the rotation. And yes, there are a lot of teams that he still can be effective against in the league, but the truth is there are only four, four teams in the league that the Thunder are chasing that really matter. That's the Cavaliers, the Warriors, the Spurs, and the Rockets. I think the Rockets will still be a solid team in the upcoming years. Sure they will. And and all and three of those teams can go to a five-out type of offense where it's one guy running the point, whether it's LeBron or Harden or Draymond, and you surround them by three-point shooters, and that's their offense, and they can destroy teams that way. Oh, yes. And, for, and so that's the direction this league is going, at least for this foreseeable future, and Cantor is completely useless against those types of sets. Like Dwight um, Howard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's you know he's a big man playing in a small man's game yep. uh, against against the teams that really matter. Uh, and so, from that standpoint, in order for the Thunder to move forward, I it's going to be really tough to do that with him playing any significant role. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, I I don't know what Sam Presti can do with them to get any sort of value in a trade deal. 
Yeah, that makes sense. We'll have to wait and see about that. Because he's distinct now, really. And like Dwight Howard, but you're stuck with him. There's mm-hmm. a lot of money, but then again, you lost Kevin Durant, so there's a lot of room. And Andre Roberson, I remember people saying, well, he's no good. He shouldn't even be on the team. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when he's with Kevin Durant and them, most people aren't any good because they don't need to be because those guys are going to just shoot anyway. And yeah. he's not going to get the chance. I think that Andre Roberson, or Roberson, however he pronounces his name, I think that at the end of the day, he demonstrated very clearly that, yes, there is more to his game than just defense. And, mm-hmm. yes, somebody is going to pay him because his stock went way up after that four-game or five-game series with Houston. Maybe it was six games. I don't remember. What is, what's, how yeah. much is it going to cost to retain him? Right now, the numbers that they're floating is 12 to 15 a year. Yep. Uh, he was offered a $12 million a year deal before the season started. Uh, I think if you look at his playoff performance over the last two years, I think his price price point should be in that range. Uh, because, uh, But it's all dependent on what team he's playing for. If you put him on, on a bad team that doesn't have any direction at all, he's going to be practically useless because his offensive game is still rudimentary um, and whatnot. But if you put him on a good team that knows how to position him to a place of success, uh, a team like the Thunder, obviously they know how to use him, the Spurs. um, I don't know if he would fit in on a Cavaliers type of team where they they really need shooters. Um, But I was also thinking about maybe the Timberwolves. He might make a lot of sense there playing for Thibodeau, who would know how to use him. Um, I could could see teams like that going after him because he is a a defensive weapon that can lock up an elite offensive player the way we we saw him defend James Harden. We've seen him defend Kawhi Leonard. Uh, He just – he's a really – intellectual and physical and elite defensive player uh, and he will get some recognition this year uh, although he won't be first team uh, just because of the position he plays but people saw what he can do when when he's allowed to play defense he's the second best defender in the western conference i agree i i totally agree at his position anyway yeah i mean yeah. Kawhi leonard is better but then Kawhi leonard is better than a lot of people so it's okay yeah you know another team that he could probably fit in and who have money is the Boston Celtics. He would be very good there. That's a team. That's a league right there where they do have those kind of guys that he, they need him to stop. Mm-hmm. And he would be perfect. But I wouldn't wish anyone on Brad Stevens because <laughs> he's rubbish. He's proven it a time and time again. But uh, one more guy. You got how? Yeah. You got Taj Gibson. What's going to yep. happen? What is his future? He's the only one left that he's an unrestricted free agent. He can go wherever he wants. Is he? Yep. Is his Thunder days over? I hope not. Uh, I like the way he fit into the team very quickly. I like the way McDermott fit in, too. I think both of them could have a lot of potential for the team. Uh, I will say that we were somewhat baffled at how Donovan used him or didn't use him against the Rockets. There were a number of times when he looked like he was the second best player on the court for the Thunder. Um, He had a a big game three, and then he kind of disappeared in the rest of the series. We're not really sure why. Um, He is older. I think he's 31, and he's probably going to get a a two-year deal somewhere. Um, I think it really comes down to him. If he wants to roll with Westbrook, and they do have a relationship that dates that predates the Thunder, if he wants to roll with him for a full season and and uh, get a two-year deal with a second-year option, 
um, that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, the Thunder are obviously going to be dealing with some cap issues uh, over the next year. But if they can figure out a way to move Cantor, then then Taj Gibson's deal becomes a lot more palatable, and it also would allow the Thunder to pursue some other missing pieces as well. Uh, so in a sense, Taj Gibson is tied to, to Ennis Cantor's uh, outcome. That makes sense. You know, those big salaries, they hamstring you unless it's a superstar. Unless he's unless it's a superstar on his way up. But I tell you what, you did a great job. Thank you so much for being mm-hmm. here once again, my friend. Thank you, sir. I really always loved uh, talking to you about this stuff. Me too. That was Jay Sherman. You can find him over at welcometoloudcity.com. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Phil Nason Show. Until next time, y'all take care of yourselves. Be good. And most importantly, ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.